0: Hi there, catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. Wait, I wasn't expecting you right now.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to stop by and tell everyone about our event coming up Valentine's weekend.
0: You mean the three-day education and social event focusing in on dating and relationships for kinky folks called the Kinky Dating Something Something and Love Blah 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 event? We've got great speakers lined up, including me.
1: Yeah, also Lexi Silver, Zach Budd, Unruly Nerd Girl, and I'll even be presenting a four-hour workshop. Don't worry, it's in two parts. About how to defuckify your dating and create a profile and a life that weeds out what you don't want and attracts what you do. Registration is open now. And the first 500 people get in free, so don't hesitate. Get registered at datingkinky.com dating dash love dash event.
0: It's a great opportunity to learn from the people you love about the people you hope to love. I know it's on my Valentine's Day calendar. Chocolates are optional.
1: The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. It's kinky done differently. Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, with questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host, hi there, catsuit.
0: Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want a look into the beginning of traditional and non-traditional relationships, from the first impression to the messaging that finally wins people over. My name is John, known to my king friends as Hi There Catsuit, and on today's program, we visit with a pioneer in transgender education and a simply wonderful human. Lee Harrington is a sexuality, relationships, and personal authenticity educator. Having taught in all 50 states and across six countries, he brings a combination of playful engagement and thoughtful academic dialogue to a broad audience. An award-winning author and editor on human gender, sexual and sacred experience, his books include Traversing Gender, Understanding Transgender Journeys, and Sacred Kink, The Eightfold Paths of BDSM and Beyond, among many other titles. He has been blogging since 1998 and has been teaching worldwide since 2001. You can check out Lee's adventures as well as his regular podcast, tour schedule, free essays, videos and more over at passionandsoul.com. And now the passion and soul of Lee Harrington on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's the first five. All right, Lee, we start every show with the first five, five questions about first. And I will start with the first time you ever fell in love.
2: Oh, I thought I fell in love in kindergarten. His name was Derek. And Derek was amazing because he was smart and good at math and incredibly kind and that notion of kindness lit me up even when I was a youth. Right. But I'd say the first time that I had that deep seated core rock, my world love was when I I dated somebody from 13 to 16 and uh, named Toby and Toby was this individual and still is um, this individual who could take scary moments and make them feel like I could be safe. Hmm. And I thought that was something like that moment transformed the idea of Twitter patient or lust mm-hmm. into being this notion of love for me. First time
0: you felt different. Ooh, felt, first time I felt different. I would
2: say uh, probably about five years old, going into preschool, uh, I was very much this chubby genderqueer kid and in my neighborhood, I was one of the few white folks and so it was predominantly like the body the very Latino population. And so for me, that moment of looking around and having a different skin t- tone, as well as this notion of being a different body shape than other people around me and having different capacities because of what I found out later was asthma, et cetera. Like, I think for me, it was around body awareness, so preschool.
0: First time you felt right.
2: It was grade eight or grade nine, and I was at summer camp, and everybody else except for one girl, um, for folks who don't know, I was assigned female at birth, and this girl and I who were in the same cabin were the only two who weren't sick, and so the two of us got to go back and forth from the cabin to the rest of the campground to get supplies, Mm -hmm. And that moment of feeling right when it was just her and I doing those walks together and the rest of the world could melt away, I think that was the first time it felt really right.
0: First time you received an inappropriate message and your reaction to it. So I know there
2: are some from when I was a youth that I do not remember, but I remember when I was puberty had just hit so this had to have been grade seven I'm guessing and I was a campfire kid which is like Girl Scouts but for all genders and I was vending candy right being a good underage worker in the capitalist system and in exchange for badges (laughs) um and I remember this moment where I had my white shirt because it was a white shirt with a blue vest. And if I had my shirt all the way buttoned up selling candy, I sold, you know, four boxes an hour and each button I unbuttoned, the more candy Mm. I sold. And it was this awareness of misogyny and capitalism and the unwelcome advances at 12 or 13 or whatever that was, right? 11, 12, 13 of... All of these older men coming out and this awkward space between, do I choose to make more money or do I choose to become a fetishized object from someone who I did not necessarily consent to?
0: Wow. So I'd say
2: that was my first active awareness.
0: Wow. First time you were surprised by somebody who approached you. And you thought they would be a total person that you'd never want anything to do with. And suddenly they became somebody you wanted to be close with.
2: So I've actually been asked this type of question before and I don't have a memory of that sort per se. I, I, I'm one of those humans that when everybody else had their clicks starting in preschool or whatever, I was the person who flowed between clicks. Right, like if everybody was a family, I was everyone's cousin Mm -hmm. that could operate between. So that notion of somebody wouldn't fit and then it would work. I'm the person that can strike up a conversation with somebody of completely opposite political values and and moral values Mm -hmm. and still have a match. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but thank you for the question. I think it's, it's worth pondering.
1: Two people getting to know each other, just like we did in high school. Here is Seven Minutes in
0: Heaven. What, Lee, makes you happy?
2: Passion. Absolutely. I would rather have somebody talk to me about, you know, quantum physics that I know nothing about, but they are passionate. That lights me up compared to... A tepid conversation about a topic that I love.
0: Do you think that this country, and you can even put it in context of the world, lacks passion? In the
2: United States, uh, I think passion has been routed in a in an unconscious direction into the form of hate,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because hate can look passionate and even sound passionate, but passion and toxicity together creates destruction and sorrow.
0: Your website is called Passion and Soul. Yeah. What is soul?
2: So I'm a deeply spiritual person. And Soul can be our spiritual path or religious path, whether that is theistic, right, to believe in some sort of divine force or deity, whether that is to be completely atheistic, but to still have Mm -hmm. soulful moments. We can have that side of soul, that which is the other side of our body experience that taps into that which is greater than us. But soul to me is also the notion of depth. That notion, of, like when we think of soul music, it is the sound that evokes feelings from the core of our belly and bubbles it up into our heart and our head. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, soul can be either of those things and oftentimes a fusion of the two. What are things that turn you on? Being present, being here and in the moment. Uh, I think for me, one of the things that also turns me on is the idea of authenticity, because I think sometimes people in a fear of being egoic develop a form of humbleness that is self-depreciating. Mm. And it's a matter of finding that middle ground. And to me, that middle ground where one a person knows the greatness they do hold in the world and the benefits they bring to themselves and the people around them, but do so without forcing out the, the independence and power of people around them or try to do one-upmanship. Mm-hmm. I think to me, that's a real turn on.
0: What's the difference between ego and pride? I, pride is actually, it's both ego and pride
2: are, are both spectrums, mm-hmm. right? They're, they can be too minimized and so maximized that it harms yourself mm-hmm. or others. But I would say ego is that notion of self-evaluation while pride is the concept of acknowledging the greatness that one does. One is the idea of self-value as compared to acknowledging what you do in the world or within yourself.
0: That's a fantastic answer. I love every bit of that.
2: What are the things that just turn you off? In pure, pure transparency, bad teeth. Um, I mean, it's Uh, It is one of the things I try my best because I try not to be ableist or uh, try not to be to have those isms against people who have um, different fiscal realities than I do, but I will own that that is one of mine. Um, Unsolicited chat sex, at least ask me, would you like to sex with me? I find is useful for not turning me off. And also that game of one-upmanship or that game of I am better than you. Mm-hmm. If somebody is talking about travel with me, I want to I want to hear you talk about Cuba and me to say, I've never been to Cuba. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. And then I offhandedly say, oh, I've been to, you know, I've been to Mobile, Alabama. And they're like, I've never been to, Mo-. like, that's different mm-hmm. than, oh, you've been to Mobile where I've <laughs> Been to Cuba. Mm-hmm. That difference.
0: I always think of the character Penelope, uh, played so brilliantly by Kristen wig on Saturday Night Live, mm. who would go from, yes, I see puppets, to, I was one of the Muppets, and I was the one that invented the Muppets. <laughs> it's one of my favorite characters of all time.
2: Right. Well, and that notion of what gets named um oftentimes in women's psychological diagnoses is borderline personality disorder and in men's diagnoses tends to get order, um labeled as narcissistic um narcissistic social um oh social what's the word i'm pulling up anyway uh i'm not pulling the third world third world uh, word up but that notion of taking a piece and aggrandizing it and building more and more, and then eventually changing the entire pattern and doing those spins, it's a tough place to be. And I've met folks for whom they honestly don't know that's not their reality. That for them, that is so real in the moment Mm -hmm. and they're not trying to lie. It's that in that moment that feels so real. And so we laugh at people like Penelope, but I think in those laughters sometimes, those cheap shots, as it were, in places like Saturday Night Live, it ends up creating harm or vilification for people who are dancing with serious neurological mm-hmm. non-normativity. I mean, I think of the same thing, not with neurological non-normativity, but with gender and um, Saturday Night Live and the character Pat.
3: I remember that. Not
2: knowing someone's gender was a cheap shot. Like, is it a boy or a girl? I don't Mm -hmm. know, it's Pat. Um, For folks who are from that time period of SNL. And, um, And for me as somebody who was transgender, those kinds of cheap shots, it seems funny at first, but then it tells everybody else in the world, don't talk about these things. They're wrong. In the same way that people I know who have borderline personality disorder are told, don't talk about these things. Mm -hmm. It's wrong. Stay closeted, stay hidden, et cetera. So that was a a slight detour, but like it's- I understand.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to follow that up by saying, I don't believe Pat could fly in this day and age. And I think it's become because we've gotten more educated- yeah. as to what's going on.
2: I mean, looking back, there's some television shows over history that hold up and other ones that don't. I mean, the example of Friends being available now on streaming, if we look at that television series that for me as somebody who's 40, that that was something I grew up with was that television series. And now I look at Friends and I'm like, oh, all the racism. ooh, all the misogyny. ooh, all this that I didn't see in the moment, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious because golden girls picked up on all of that stuff and had really complex, hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But some of the shows don't hold up. Some of them do. Right. But there's a lot that I look back on and go, Oh, you know, hit you right in the kisser. That doesn't hold up. Mm -hmm. That doesn't hold up.
0: Well, being someone who grew up in the days of laugh in Mm -hmm. and flip Wilson and absolutely many shows that you'd look at today and you go what was this all about Mm -hmm. Uh, I can I can understand I still appreciate the talent and work that went into those shows because at the time I don't know if they knew it was as wrong as it was but if you look at it through today's Uh, magnifying glass, I can see how people could be offended and just say, oh, I can't deal with that.
2: Right. Well, it's also to acknowledge that culturally, as well as subculturally, each era handles its own issues, its own topics, and has its own language. I mean, if we think of the first Star Trek, having an interracial kiss on camera was huge Right, and to have Lucille Ball as one of the producers pushing for it to still have, like, that was huge. Or the fact that in Next Generation, the episode that was all about um, independence fighting and terrorism was not shown in Ireland or Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. Right, for something like 15 years later, because it was too fresh, it was willing to be talked about in the United States, but in a different nation who is having this be a fresher experience, it's not okay to have that in media. And so I think we chew on these things. And if we look back in media, because I am convinced that any media that is invented gets used first for porn. (laughs) Everything we start with like cave paintings and then we move into clay tablets and all like there's pornography, pornography and accounting are the two things that every media gets used for. But like if we look at other centuries, other, you know, all of that kind of like look back, what was norm and easy to talk about, right? That Emperor Hadrian had a 16 year old lover that he deified named Antinous and talking about men for men love in that era was not a thing. Mm -hmm. It simply was in the Roman empire. It simply was what it was with, of course, more acceptability because of people's class mm-hmm. and economic status. Uh, but, th- that was, but if we have this conversation for some places in the United States, that exact same conversation about men who love men today, it's 2000 years later and now it's hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. These things go in cycles and, and move around in different ways.
3: What is your fantasy? Do you have a secret? We all have sexual fantasies or secrets. That's what my show is all about. My name is Nikki, and I'm the host of In Bed with Nikki. In this show, it's all about sex and the fantasies that people have. Reading from my emails directly and anonymously sent to me, together we will explore the experiences of everyday people, just like yourself. Often, this is the very first time they've told anyone else about them. You can find In Bed with Nikki on Podchaser, Spotify, Apple iTunes, and anywhere else you find your other favorite podcasts. And remember for every problem, there is a solution. And i happen to call it an orgasm and until next time enjoy hi this is jane boone
1: the author of the novel edge play it's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit you can find it at amazon and paperback or for your kindle And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you. This is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently.
0: Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, and our guest today, Lee Harrington. And normally at this part of the show, I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly messages that women and other wonderful humans receive. But having you on the show, I absolutely want this to be an educational experience, not only for my audience, but for me. Happily,
2: let's see where we go.
0: So I'm going to start with something that I totally did not understand when I was younger. And that is, I saw a tennis player by the name of Renee Richards Mm -hmm. playing in women's tennis. And I thought to myself back when I was growing up, wait a minute started as a man is now a woman, how is this fair? And that's the way I saw it because I did not understand everything about it. We have made great strides now to the point where we understand more. What do you think has been the big change in that understanding?
2: A number of different things. I mean, I already talked about the notion of time period cycles. If during World War II, the, uh, the Reichstag had not like been burned down in that entire period. The first, the, the first, um, uh, the first uh, international, sorry, no, this is World War one, this is 1920s, 1920s. Like if that period, so ignore the, the other piece about time periods, I was confusing world wars. Um, but if that hadn't happened, there was an international transgender study center that was burned to the ground that was actively performing surgeries in Germany at that time period. And if we go further back 2000 plus years in um, the, the, um, in what is now Iran. The worshipers of of, uh, Sybil or Cabel were people who were assigned male at birth and sacrificed their genitals and dressed like women and became priestesses to be able to, because of their gender journey, tap into divinity on a deeper level. Because they understood, just like the divine, what it was like to be uh, someone in liminal space someone who could pl- walk in places between. So that's a historical piece. Like, I just wanted to put that in context that we're going in cycles, right? And depending on where you are listening in the world, these cycles are different. But in the United States, you have first um, the, uh, you have Christine Jorgensen, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have, um, you know, the woman you're talking like, about. You've got those. Yeah, exactly. Um And then you have pictures of drag queens during the 1960s being the uh, drag queen, um, transgender women and drag queens of color being the first people to throw the bricks at Stonewall, right? And so we have these chapters of where people are seen in their various transgender experience. And I wanna explain this transgender word because trans means across right? So think transatlantic, right? So it means to cross over. Um, and cis means same. So I am transgender. It means that I started somewhere and now I am somewhere else between what I was assigned at birth, right? The doctor picked me up and went, it's a blank insert word, right? That label and where I am today are different. Um, And a cisgender person is whatever the doctor said and how they self-identify today are the same. So, uh, so when I say things like they're a cisgender person, they're a transgender person, neither is a pejorative, neither is a negative thing. Neither is meant to be mean or degrading. It's simply a way to describe people's gender stories. Right? So, uh, So I think one of the things nowadays that has happened is that starting with Stonewall, there has been more and more visibility because in the 60s and through the 70s, it was illegal. Actually, into the early 80s, it was illegal to wear more than two articles of clothing in the United States that did not match your legal gender right so somebody who was assigned male at birth or had male legal identification could not wear too high heels or could not wear pantyhose and a wig that anything more than that was an arrestable offense and so getting some of those things off the book made a big step Um, And to have psychiatrists and psychologists revisit the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, over and over again to look at this notion of transgender. And it's in the mid-90s that transgender is shifted from a psychological, in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual for Therapists um, and Medical Practitioners, it's shifted from being a outright mental illness to being a condition if it is causing harm in your life, right? So those are different things. And so it's, I I think it's about these evolutions of first how the laws shift and then how the laws shift is because people build more awareness. If you know someone, if you've met someone, or if you've seen somebody you empathize with on television, you're less likely to pass laws that have them end up in prison for being them. And once we can get rid of the pure illegality of existing as a human being, then that next piece of social acceptance or being able to be yourself at the Thanksgiving table or Christmas table, or however you personally celebrate your holidays, like that, it takes those steps and those shifts. And it's one of the reasons that gay marriage was able to be passed in the United States is this, you know, the numbers of people in the United States in the 90s who said they knew a gay person was something like 10%, right? 10 to 20%. Nowadays, People either saying I know directly a gay person or I know a character on TV that isn't just a joke that I can pinpoint and go, oh, that's kind of what gay is about. The bulk of people in the United States can say one or the other. And once you know someone as a human being who is more than one trait, right, that a black person is not just a black person, they're your friend who works at the museum. They are your bus driver. They are a human being that maybe you've had a conversation with or like we start shifting the dialogue and to have transgender people that are not just that one joke on Saturday Night Live, but are someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who you remember from being in the Olympics and who, because of their own journey, decided to come out as it were to decided to not just privately transition, right? Change their name, change how their friends refer to them, but decided to socially, medically, and legally transition in the public eye because they had no other choice because of, they had a choice actually of not transitioning, but because they are a Jenner and the Kardashians, they are under the public scrutiny and they didn't really have a choice about it, right? Shares kid. Suddenly we had a transgender man. And if people are confused about the trans man, trans woman thing, it's whatever the destination is, as it were, right? So I'm a trans man because I identify and live as, for some people, it's the word identify. For some people it's, I've always been that thing. Don't use the word identify because it's just who I am, right? You don't identify as a man, you are a man as it is for a lot of transgender people, not hundred percent across the board, but for a lot of folks. So I think those are the steps that it takes to, you know, awareness, decriminalization, socialization and connection, popularization, changing social systems.
0: I have two questions that I want to ask you based off what you just said, and it's hard for me to decide which one. So I'm going to go (laughs) to one that's a little bit controversial or could be. Ooh,
2: I'm excited. All right.
0: You mentioned Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. In 1976, as a 13-year-old boy with my dad in Montreal, Canada, Mm Mm-hmm sitting in the Olympic Stadium, I saw Bruce Jenner win the decathlon.
2: Absolutely.
0: That was a vivid memory in my life. Mm. It was one of those things that I will always remember. Right. When Bruce decided or was able to, and I'm choosing my words very carefully because I don't want people to misunderstand me when Caitlyn Jenner arrived in the public eye, it was very, very difficult for me Mm -hmm. to think of anybody other than the Bruce Jenner that I saw when I was a little kid. And it took me by surprise about how I was torn about it. Caitlyn has every right to live the life that she wants to live but what does that do to my memory of the kid who was on uh, as a kid of the guy who was on the cover of sports illustrated right
2: that's a great question
0: so first I it's hard want to for voice... me to admit that because in a lot of circles people would go well he just doesn't understand no, i don't you... understand
2: and that's you I'm... are not alone you're mm. not alone at all first i want to voice that i know a lot of transgender women who because they were found wearing different clothing of a different gender than what they were assigned when they were young based on how they acted based on coming out they were physically assaulted by family members shamed or kicked out of family like threatened to be kicked out and so they end up going really underground trans men are often t- can sometimes be read as a tomboy so there's a different cultural structure there that's differently understood for some not all but for some trans men uh, not universal, but for trans women, I see that happen a lot in the United States. And when that happens, I have talked to a lot of trans women who went, Well, if I can't be who I am, what can I be that will make my uncle not beat me? Right? What can I be that will be socially acceptable? And I know a lot of trans women who have been athletes, right? Football players, basketball players, et cetera. I know a lot that have served in the military that have worked blue collar jobs, who have taken on hyper-masculinized roles as a way to compensate for their own personal identity and and truths that they are burying or setting aside permanently for the time being, whatever it might be. So I I do wanna voice that. that Caitlyn Jenner's experience, and she's talked about this is when she was young, she was told, you know, you can't do that. And they even and she even came out to her first wife and so this is what I was the, and her her wife said, if you do this, I'm leaving. And she made a choice that her love of her wife and her kids mattered more than gender expression at that time, right? So I do want to voice that. Um, the second thing is that when we meet any human being, we start attaching value to them, right? That for example, uh, my, I think of uh, my aunt Laura as being the woman who sells windows for a living. She did when I was a kid. I grew up with, with Laura who sells windows. But what happens if Laura stops selling windows? And for the last 20 years, I've attached story of Aunt, Equals woman who sells windows. In all of my stories, that's who she is. When I'm telling the tales of her, of my family member, that's what it means. And suddenly she's not doing that and she's working for the government or for whatever. And I'm like, well, what do I do now with all of my stories that say, so I saw my, you know, my Aunt Laura who sells windows. I see this especially happen for people whose careers are something like high, as it were. So people who are doctors, lawyers, government officials, et cetera, who say, you know, F that noise, I'm gonna go pursue being an artist. Or Steve Buscemi is a great example that he gave up a a huge movie career and went and became a firefighter for over a decade. And people were like, you what? but you were this guy who had a big profile and did all of this stuff. Why would you do that? And he's like, cause I being a firefighter was who I was and who I needed to be. It was the right thing for me, but for people who knew him as Steve Buscemi, right? The picture of Steve Buscemi suddenly being
0: a firefighter doesn't click. And I, yeah, I totally understand that Lee. And here's why and I'm going to make a, a statement that I haven't made on this show yet. Um, for 35 years, I was a television producer. I have seven Emmy awards sitting over there in a cabinet. Pretty damn good at what I did. COVID happens and a lot of television goes away, especially mm-hmm. in the sports world, which is where I happen to reside. I now work for a financial institution. Yeah, thirty-five years of my life gone. Well, and is I it... still remember it. Yes, exactly. And this podcast is my ability to keep on being a broadcaster. That's why I do this. Right. But and I'm so... also doing it because it is helping not only to feed my soul but to be a part of a community that I think is so important that people understand them better. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people
2: understand jobs as a way to look at the question of transgender experience. Okay, But anybody who's taking in a dramatic shift that people didn't see coming, even if somebody was thinking about it, that person who was an engineer who's been thinking for the last 20 years, I want to be a sculptor. They've even taken sculpting classes on the side. They've even done work at home, but none of their coworkers know and most of their family doesn't know. So for those family members, it's suddenly out of the blue that you're gonna give up your engineering job and come and be a sculptor, even if you've been thinking about it for 20 years. And how do you tell your own stories of the past without it sounding in some cases absurd, Wait, let, you, let me get this straight. You work at a financial institution, but you have seven Emmys? Right. Or how am I supposed to talk about you now? Because I think of you as, you know, working as, as a producer and, a, and doing sports world stuff. How am I supposed to refer to you when talking to people? So these are things that happen to almost everyone somewhere in their social circle. And for transgender people, that's what's been happening. Wow. It might be brand new to you that they've just come out. Mm-hmm. But for them, they've been thinking about it for three years, 20 years, and in some cases, 50, 60 years. Right? And the it light goes on. <laughs> yeah. And then how do they start referring to their past? And this is a more more intense version of the job issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that it's like the steptoe into that, the the, the tiptoe into that concept. That for me, that story I shared about unbuttoning my shirt to show my cleavage. Mm-hmm. If somebody saw me walking down the street with my full beard and flat chest and, you know, wearing button down shirts and wingtips, like people would, nobody would look at me. Somebody might say, Oh, you're probably flamboyant, right? Because <laughs> I am pretty fabulous. But it's, a lot of people can't put two and two together. Mm-hmm. And I used to be a fashion model. You know, I used to do modeling of different sorts when I was a 38, 20, uh, a 38, double D to triple D, 28, 42 when I was corseted at five foot 11, not counting the high heels, Wow! right? Super curvaceous. And I met people who, when I came out about deciding to medically socially and legally transition. And I point out all of those because some transgender people never never do anything medically,
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: either because they can't or they don't want to, right? But they might identify a way and come out to their friends and family.
0: And no less important at all.
2: Right, exactly. Or there's people who medically transition, but based on where they live, can't legally transition. I will never be able to actually... I probably will never be able to change my birth certificate because in the state of Massachusetts where I was born, it requires that you have three surgical procedures that take care of uh, and sterilize you, right, Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to change your birth certificate. And people don't like the word sterilization, but when it requires that I remove my uterus and ovaries to be able to have that change, that's sterilization, Mm -hmm. right, Um. Or that trans women have to have their testes removed—that's sterilization. So, for you know, for some people they can't do one or the other. But when I came out in two thousand and six, I tried to transition in ninety six and was turned down. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, because the DSM hadn't changed, and there was a whole lot of. Perceptions around my sexual orientation, as like the the it was a different wor- world in the '90s for mm-hmm. transgender people. But in 2006, when I made the choice that no, really, this is what I'm going to do, and I lost my husband because of it, because he decided he wasn't bisexual, mm-hmm. and I do not fault him at all. I love him dearly to this day. Like I applaud him on Facebook. Like we see each other when I visit Portland sometimes, Mm -hmm. but we weren't going to be a relationship. So I made really hard choices and lost people in my world. But when I transitioned people who had sexualized me Mm -hmm. or had dated me as a woman. They were like, "Wait, does this make me gay now? Because I was sexually attracted to wow. you. Like what, what does that do? What does that mean for me?" And suddenly, my gender transition was about them. In the same way that Caitlyn Jenner coming out socially and doing medical procedures ended up becoming your journey, because suddenly you get to reframe all these questions. Like, if mm-hmm. I Idolized Bruce Jenner as being this archetype of masculinity. Does that mean I was wrong? Does that mean that I'm invalid? Does that mean I can't read people? Does that mean I need to rewrite my history? Because some transgender people want you to go back and change the stories. For me, but that's not universal. Some people even call their former names their dead name. Mm. And they refer, they don't refer to their pasts. They ask that photographs not be put out at families' houses. It is uncomfortable for them. Wow. Right? And which is not unreasonable in the same way I know people who were, um, uh, who are now 200 pounds lighter, who don't want photographs of them from when they were 450 pounds to be out on the family mantle. To see that image creates dysphoria or some degree of dissociation or whatever that might be, that that is uncomfortable for the person who has lost that much weight. For somebody who's transgender and who has also had a body journey, in the same way that somebody losing that much weight has had a body journey, they don't want to see those images either. Mm -hmm. For me, right, because again, everybody's thing is different, just like everybody who's lost that much weight is different with their preferences I call my former name my former name mm-hmm. and when people tell stories of me from my past I say well does my gender matter in your story and in my case of one of my ex-boyfriends he was like yeah because I'm really really straight like I'm like on a scale of, <laughs> of one to six I'm a zero mm-hmm like we had a hilarious moment. He lives in the Denver area and I was visiting Denver at the time and he uh we decided to get together for coffee. Mm-hmm. And he tells his wife I'm going to go get together with Lee, he and I used to date. And his wife said, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> you, "You what?" <laughs> and it's not because she was homophobic, but this was such a startling, re- re- you know, revelation mm-hmm. for her. And he had to stop and be like, information Mm
3: -hmm.
2: he used to look like this and pulled out an old print photograph out of a box Mm -hmm. and went that's who I dated Mm -hmm. and she was like she what Mm -hmm. and he had to as somebody who barely understood trans issues Mm -hmm. had learned some basics because he cared about me as a friend had to try to piece together a way to tell it and my understanding is that he said it that I was happier this way and he's glad I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And if me feeling happier is him calling me by a shortened version of my old middle name, right? If that makes me happy in combination with changing pronouns because that's what, like, why would he not want me to be happy because he cares about me as a human being. And I thought that was so loving and beautiful.
0: My scene name in the kink world is hi there cat suit, and i've told this story on the show before but i'm i'm trying to add perspective to my next question mm-hmm. i never got to talk when i was a teenager we're going back to that same time right around 1976 a little bit before when i was going through puberty and the first times that I achieved orgasm were when I was watching Catwoman, Batgirl, and Emma Peel. Absolutely. So that sort of imprinted on my mind. That progressed into me wondering what tights were like, and then mm-hmm. eventually what leotards are like, and eventually wondering what it would be like to, to have fake breasts never stopped being a straight male, but always said when I was in puberty, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to live by myself and get into a a skin tight outfit whenever I want to and even sleep in it. And, but I never had any feelings of wanting to change into a woman. Absolutely. However, as it turns out, my mind according to many therapists, is very androgynous. And the way that I think about things, if you compare it to the way most cis men and what I would call menly men would think, is very much more towards the female side, full of empathy and full of considering everything that's going on around me as well as my destination so many of those things are different about me now we have people who are and we i use the word identified as non-binary now or people who are gender fluid and i was lucky enough to have andy on the show last week who's gender fluid every time they presented towards me very much feminine but they explained to me that it literally is about how they feel when they wake up that day, mm-hmm. that it goes back and forth. So being confused going through puberty, you can only imagine how I've felt growing up, especially having a marriage of 20 years where my spouse kink-shamed me the entire time going, how could you even like that? That's just strange. That's just stupid. And now I'm starting to have very close friendships and relationships with people who are non-binary. I am meeting many trans people, both trans men and trans women. And I'm starting to understand a lot, but I'm still the same old me. Right. So how am I able to be so understanding, or was it the fact that I went through that that has kind of made me the person that I am today? And yeah. I realize this show isn't about me, it's about what women and what other wonderful humans want, but I'm sure that there are a few stories, both men and women, and everything in between, that are just like mine. Absolutely. So I want to break down some different pieces that
2: I heard there. hmm One is gender, right? Gender identity is who you are inside your head between your ears, how you think about yourself, right? And even within say manhood as a a construct inside somebody's head, I identify as a man. Are you man as in Hulk Hogan? Are you man as in um, uh, Hunter S. Thompson? (laughs) Mm -hmm. are you man as in uh gosh what why am i not pulling up um oscar wilde Mm -hmm. all three of those are men but they're different archetypes of men within culture
0: Mm -hmm.
2: right with hulk hogan be the manly man that you're talking about but there are also valid manhoods that don't get highlighted all the time because the
0: one we think of now is pretty much the hulk hogan sending dick pics things like that that's your quote typical male right well the picture on
2: it right well the picture though because people think jason momoa that's a man's man and i'm like jason momoa has friendship rings that he wears with um his wife's former spouse because they're all co-parenting together and the fact that lenny kravitz and then like they cuddle together they hang out he goes to protests in hawaii he shaves his head for charity like shaves his face for charity like Jason Momoa is picturesque man's man, but not necessarily behaviorally the toxic man's mm-hmm. man, right? He is the non-toxic man's man. So we've got manhood. We've got the thing of gender between our ears. The next one is our orientation, right? Straight man. So orientation is who you dig, who are you into? What are you attracted to, right? Like. So there's that's the the orientation. Mm -hmm. There's then sexual behavior. So, for example, there's a term pegging um, in various forms of sexuality populations, and pegging means a man who likes being anally penetrated by a woman who is wearing a strap-on phallus, Mm -hmm. and that guy has no interest whatsoever. In somebody with a biological phallus attached to their body doing the same thing, they are not gay at all. They are enjoying the fact that men have a prostate that can cause them to have an orgasm from the backside. All men have that. I should say, not just all men, because transgender men, et cetera, but everybody who has a prostate can have that happen. Mm-hmm. So, there's sexual behavior, and that includes things like how you dress, self expression behaviors. So, how I think of myself, who I'm drawn to, and what I do with my body for a lot of folks can be, can come in lots of different flavor combinations. So, that notion of how do you think of things, if those three don't align to have how the cultural archetypes that you look at in the media or your family members, right? Your personal archetypes or cultural archetypes that you see for your gender and sexual orientation. If that doesn't match up for some people, it's that opportunity slash really scary process. Mm -hmm. Like really, really scary process of doing that self-evaluation, of doing that work. Um, And I've met people for whom that work is why you end up with such a high rate of queer youth suicide. Mm. Because between self-evaluation and comparing it to how people, like if somebody, if the rest of your family says, I hope all all people who gay die and if a family member of mine came out, I would kill them right? Even if they never come out, it's why people have those kinds of fears is through that self-examination. And then on the flip side, it's a, yep, I'm a cisgender guy who likes dressing in this way because its textures are sexy Mm -hmm. and fun. And I like playing with them and looking beautiful in these ways is fun and enjoyable. But I have no interest in modifying my biological form. Mm -hmm. I have no interest in what prone, like I don't want to be called a different name. I just enjoy this thing. And it may or may not mean that you're non-binary, demigender, like all of these other words out there in the giant transgender umbrella Mm -hmm. of the English language, which as a note, we are only talking about English things. There's all kinds of other terminology worldwide that does have a cultural context, that does have cultural meaning, that does things outside of how people in the United States working um, within a specific worldview think of things. So, I think because we are told these things should all align with a specific picture, it can be damaging to everyone, whether you're transgender or cisgender. Mm -hmm. How many women have been told, well, you're not clearly a real woman because you don't wear dresses. My mother had, uh, oh, reoccurring ovarian cysts that she had to have removed and some of them were becoming cancerous and she had to have a uh a hysterectomy her aunt who at this point in her life her aunt I want to say it was in her 70s or 80s said to her my mother was a cisgender woman or cis woman for short mm-hmm. she was told if you have a hysterectomy you're not a woman anymore oh wow because to her aunt, even if she was at a point where she wasn't going to have, bio, like have children anymore, her aunt believed if you don't have a uterus, you're not a woman. And that applied to all women. Wow. And so this is a spectrum. But I love the fact that if we, like even in what I just said, right? Are you an Oscar Wilde? Are you a Hulk Hogan? Mm-hmm. For like looking at the 80s, 90s and aughts, for black men to be able to have prints in the media and be able to say, that is a man that is sexualized. I can be a prince guy and have something I can look at, right? Growing up for me, having had David Bowie break those lines for white men
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the United States, like for, I really encourage people of every gender experience to look outside of the story of what's a woman's woman's a man man and to see which woman's woman you are Mm -hmm. to see which man you are because every I think every person on this planet is on a gender journey Mm
3: -hmm.
2: transgender people have ones that are more notable and more visible and might involve more struggling because culture doesn't understand them but the number of, say, cisgender women I meet who were forced to wear pink as a kid and now hate pink and will never touch it again because they finally got to be free in the ways they want to be a woman.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: That's self-evaluation and looking at cultural tropes of gender expression and then claiming your own identity of womanhood. How powerful is that?
0: It's amazing.
2: And I think if all of us could do that work rather than assuming... You're not a real man unless dot dot dot. Or in the case of transgender people, you're not really transgender if you don't do hormones.
3: Hmm.
2: You're not really transgender if you'll never be read as the gender that you are. Right? For example, trans women who have pronounced Adam's apples and will um, and have um, and are six foot seven, the likelihood of them at first glance being read as the women that they are. Mm-hmm by a lot of people, that's a really harmful thing. And I've met people who are like, well, clearly Caitlyn Jenner, is she's a woman now, right? Because you can look at her and see that she's a woman and not acknowledging the amount of privilege that is held in that statement, that she can afford to have 12 surgeries, that she can afford hormones, that she can afford to take voice lessons, the amount of isms right into that. And I carry what gets called passing privilege. That if I walk down the street, people read me as the gender that I am. Mm -hmm. That is a form of privilege that I carry, that I acknowledge that because I carry it, I want to be a voice for people who will never have that because I have seen Cisgender and transgender people look at a person and be like, well, if only she looked more like a woman, it'd be fine. No, oh, cheese. I actually had an ex of mine who was a transgender woman who didn't come out as being a transgender woman until they were in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And um, she had been a furry, like, pelt-level furry gay man. Mm-hmm. Right, like that, like trope of leather vest and very manly girl, leather muscles with the leather. Right, like that trope.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and when they came out and decided to actually pursue things rather than what they were doing at home, sometimes, or the fact that they were predominantly dating women, mm-hmm. right, who identified almost all as lesbians or bisexual. So <laughs> it's like there, there was a bit of a clue there for people who were noting,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but. When she decided to finally come out, her therapist said, I'm not going to approve your hormones until you dress like a woman for six months. She was the kind of person that didn't get like a five o'clock shadow. They got like an 11 a.m. shadow. Mm -hmm. And they were being told wear dresses. And how many women, honestly, I want you to answer this. How many women do you know that wear a dress all the time?
0: Oh, not many at all. As a matter of fact, it's the exception rather than the rule these days. Even in a professional environment, Yeah, it's the exception rather than the rule. So when I see a woman in a a really striking business suit or a a really uh, flattering skirt, I take notice because it's not that it's the manly man going, wow, she's sexy. It's like, wow, that's different. And that person looks really good as that. Right. Not me. Oh, I'd like to have sex with that person. It's no, she looks damn good. (laughs) Yeah. So for Danielle,
2: she was being told that you have to do that. And for her, that would mean not just a, that's not what women do. Like she was a very, like if you had to have a a sexual trope, right. Or like a gender Mm -hmm. trope, she was a butch dyke. Right, mm-hmm. like she wore overalls and like did gardening and all like very like, you know, kind of woman, mm-hmm. but a woman nonetheless. And um, so she was told not just that you have to wear dresses, which was in and of itself dysphoric or challenging emotionally, um, but it was also putting themselves at physical risk for their likelihood of being assaulted or killed.
0: Yeah.
2: Because she was never going to look like that. She was never going to look like that. And so for her, walking through downtown Vancouver, BC, in a sometimes rough neighborhood, having to wear, you know, pleated, having to wear skirts and makeup Mm -hmm. with that 11 a.m. shadow coming in, there's been something like, I want to say there's been 37, 35, I'm not sure of transgender people murdered in the United States this year.
0: Hmm.
2: And almost all of them have been trans. The bulk of them have been trans women and the bulk of those have been transgender women of color wow. because trans women deal, not just with being seen as more shocking and people have to struggle with their homophobia and all of that stuff. They're dealing with homophobia, but also misogyny on top of it because women are assaulted more than men. Hmm. And then on top of it, that third demographic level, they're now also dealing with racism. And these things stack up in the same way that black women are given, like women are make less money than men in the world at large. And then underneath that black women and Latino women make less money than that. Like it's it's all layers of intersectionality.
0: And it's so disturbing. I have said a few things that I guess could be controversial, like in the battle of the sexes, I rarely cheer for my own side. That's one (laughs) I've been known to say quite a bit. But I'm also very much an equal rights person. I don't understand why there is a wage gap other than the people who make those decisions are mostly men. And that to me is just, it's sad. And I'm hoping that by the time I move on to whatever is next for me, uh, which, which could be five days from now, which could be five years, which could be five decades, who knows. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that there's a change in that. And I'm hoping that I can see that. Uh, that would be a life well lived right there. I love that vision. I mean, it's
2: one of the things I love conceptually, that notion of all lives matter. Like theoretically, I think that's an amazing utopia to work towards. But today there's other terminology, things like all trans lives matter, all black lives matter, because those are the ones who are being murdered,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: right? They're the ones who aren't making as much money. They're the people who are losing jobs. They're the people, you know what I mean? Like it's not that everybody else doesn't matter because we all do. It's that, wouldn't it be great if we all had equal income? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be great if we weren't, you know, being assaulted or killed or whatever it might be?
0: And we wouldn't have to worry about why things happen when things don't make sense. Yeah. And that, that's a very difficult one. Um, you are an educator. You have written many books. You love teaching classes what is it about being an educator that fills your passion and soul? And I'm guessing it starts with passion and soul. <laughs> uh, it's actually funny. Um, the, the reason that website even
2: came up was because I, Lee Harrington, when I medically transitioned and legally transitioned, um, my former name uh, was a distinct spelling of my first name. Uh, and my my new name was, it turned out, Lee Harrington. There's a number of us in the world. And so Lee Harrington was already taken. I am not, for example, the woman who wrote uh, Rex in the city, a complete dog walking guide. That's (laughs) not me. (laughs) Lovely. She's received my emails before. She's not me. One of the things that really does it for me with education is um, so I was that teenager who did condom distribution. Mm, Okay. Right. Like for Planned Parenthood and did all of that stuff because somebody has to be in the schools because people aren't parents aren't buying them for folks. Mm. And the whole like wait till you're married thing isn't real because pe- p- bodies are made for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Sex feels good. People do fun things with their body because it feels good. Fetuses have been shown to masturbate in utero, right?
0: <laughs> okay, seriously, I'll, I'll like, take your word for that one. <laughs> like there are
2: trim- there is there's like images of third trimester babies moving their hand up and down their genitals right? Like pleasure is part of what our body does. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that since back then. And part of it for me is the idea of facilitating pleasure, facilitating conversation and communication. Uh, I love the idea that, and this is probably neuroses based on my own childhood bringing and bring up. I'm probably actually, I'm sure it is. Um, But I want my lived life on this planet to have been worth the breath and the space and the resources I took up. Is me having been here make the world at least not any worse? And to me, I mean, I think it's Neil Gaiman said this. It's either Neil Gaiman or Neil Stevenson, and I never remember. People have told me like three or four times, and I keep it keeps falling out of my head. <laughs> um, but argues that the most contagious thing on the planet is an idea. And so if I have the capacity to help spread good ideas or useful ideas or non-toxic ideas that help us all be a little more authentic and joyous and whatever, then I think it will have been worthwhile to have been here. And so I I think, you know, whether we boil it down to neuroses and personal fear about lack of value or whatever it is right on one side or the idea that I authentically love that moment When 10 years later, somebody comes back and is like, oh my God, this thing you said once in 2001, it changed my life in this way, or I totally disagreed with you in 2008, and here's the direction it took my life, and thank you for being a great person to disagree with, because that can be just as valuable, because there's things I've said in the past, Mm -hmm. Uh, that are completely unacceptable. And I have learned words and concepts and like, people are like, well, why does racism matter to you? And I'm like, cause I effed up in the past. Mm-hmm. I hurt people I care about. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. I have learned and I continue to learn. And then you pass on information because this stuff is contagious. And I would rather have the stuff that I pass on be loving and joyous and hopeful and healing than have it be toxic, hurtful, and harmful.
0: There is a character named Catherine Newberry, played by Emma Thompson in a show, uh, in a movie called Late Night that was on Amazon. I think it's still on Amazon. She plays a late night talk show host. And her sign-off, which is my current Facebook cover photo in words, I hope I have earned the privilege of your time. Mm. Mm. and I think that's that is why Lee you and I are kindred spirits (laughs) very much so yeah I think that's a beautiful way to phrase it and I think that we will spend our life hoping that we have earned the privilege of others time I could keep on talking to you for hours I know this to be true so here's what I'm going to do for the first time on the show I will extend an invitation to you to join us in uh, let's say 10 or 20 shows so we can have a part two of this because this is an absolutely fascinating conversation. I didn't get to half of what I wanted to talk about but I do know that there's a lot more I want to ask. So You are the first person that I am extending an invitation to in beautiful handwriting. Please, Lee, join me for a future show.
2: That would be an absolute delight. And for folks who in the meantime want to learn more about transgender experience, um, I did write a book called Traversing Gender, Understanding Transgender Journeys. And and I have journeys on purpose because there's lots of ways to do this stuff uh, that's available and out there. Uh, as you mentioned before, and you can find all of my work at passionandsoul.com. So I hope folks can find me there, whether it's listening to my backlog of over 100 podcast episodes from when I was doing that stuff to following me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of that sort of thing. So please come and find me. I hope I I get to see you
0: more often and everyone at home too. And I will have all of Lee's links in our show notes, so you'll see every way you can connect with him. Lee Harrington, thank you so much for being with us. It has been an honor, sir. It's been an absolute delight. Take care. That was indeed an education for me and really helped me in my own personal understanding of transgender topics. I hope it did the same for you as well. And we are already talking about his return in 2021 to the show. If you like this episode, make sure you go back and check out some of our other shows, including the amazing interviews with Casey Carter, author Lexi Silver, the Fetish Model Panel, and more. And if you will do us the favor of subscribing and giving us a review, that would make you a wonderful human to us. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, it's as easy as an email to John, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. That's John, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. Next week, a frank conversation with two other key issues in diversity December, when we talk about things non-binary with my friend Fall Bunny and the combination of desirability and disability with Angela Carr. Both these humans share their stories in a way full of inspiration and education. My name is John, or to my friends, hi there, catsuit. I hope we have earned the privilege of your time. Thank you for being with us. And as always in closing, we remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always.
1: What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at what women want p1 on twitter what women want podcast on instagram and for our kinky friends on fetlife at wwwpodcast this has been a presentation of dating kinky kinky done differently